0: Welcome to episode 23 of the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have led with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is my honor to be on this leadership journey with you. I know you and I are both seeking to do the same thing, aren't we? We're seeking to be the best leaders that we can be in the place That God has put us. And it really doesn't matter the field that we're in. It really doesn't matter what we do for our title for a job. The key to it is that we are becoming the people that God created us to be. Today, you are gonna really enjoy our time. We're sitting down with Ramsey personality, Chris Brown. He joined the Dave Ramsey team in 2014 to carry the message of stewardship and intentional living to churches nationwide. Maybe you're familiar with his podcast where he sits down and he talks about life, money, and hope. Phenomenal podcast. Or maybe you've listened in on Leadership Momentum, which really deals in that church world that I deal in every day. But I know this about Chris. Chris brings a wealth of experience. He spent eight years working with churches in North Carolina and Florida and drawing on his experience in the business world, especially in the real estate market, I'm telling you, Chris brings a wealth of knowledge. If you follow Chris online, he's one of the greatest guys to follow at Chris Brown on air. We'll have a link in our show notes, but he and his wife, Holly have just redone a farm up in Tennessee. And it is a fascinating journey they've been on but you are going to enjoy so much, not only what he has to say about money, which is a part of all of our lives, but his passion to help people be their best. So I want you to do me a favor. I want you to pull up a chair and listen in to my time with Chris Brown. Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining us today on Lynch with a Leader. It is an honor to have you, buddy. Yeah, honor to be on, Mike. Well, I've gotten to watch you walk from afar when you you haven't always been in the ministry realm. I know you spent some time in business and real estate. Tell me about that transition in life that you went through to take you out of that world into the world that you're in now.
1: Yeah, it is kind of a unique perspective to have the business background and now the ministry background. It really is uh, has a lot of advantages to it. I was teaching back in uh, the year 2000 to 2005. And um, that uh, particular salary at that particular school was not cutting it when my second child was on the way. And so I was in Charlotte, North Carolina. And it was a great time, the real estate market was booming. And um, my, my wife's family knew everybody in the area. So it was just a very advantageous move to real estate. And so I served in real estate for three years, even though I had a strong ministry mindset through real estate. Uh, really wanted to serve people. And uh, it's a big moment in their life to buy a home. And so I wanted to minister to them uh, during that key moment in their life. But uh, it was a good time it was 2005 to 2008. right before the recession, and things were great. But I started off with residential um, real estate. And that kind of grew into the investment side where I started to flip homes. And uh, I don't know how many people have heard my story before, but um, I was using cash and flipping one house at a time. And it was real safe. And we're making $30,000 in extra money every three months. That's pretty good money. Yeah, fresh out of school, about five years out of school. And so we're doing that one after another. And we're just banking some money. And we're living way below our means I like I'm 30 or 40% of our income, just doing everything right financially. And then one day, I decided to get greedy. And uh, I said, Why would I want to flip one house at a time and I can flip eight at a time? I mean, just do the math. Oh, $30,000 every three months or 240 every three months. Hello. And uh, it was just that time where, uh, you know, I was had I had access to the courthouse steps uh, before everyone else could know about these uh, upcoming foreclosures. And um, I did I walked into a mortgage office and I borrowed a million dollars for eight investment properties. And uh, it was the year was two thousand and seven. Oh gosh! And for the next thirty, this will hurt to hear for folks. Uh, next thirty six months, I paid mortgage payments nearly ten grand a month on eight vacant properties that I could not rent or sell, as the value of them was dramatically decreasing. So it was a it was a horrible experience. And that took me all the way to January of 2011. When I walked into a filled courtroom, looked at trustee in the eye and said, Hey, here's my situation. She said, Oh, now we were in the south. So here's what she said. Bless your heart.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Or as a friend of mine says, that means you stupid idiot. (laughs) Exactly.
1: Exactly. So, uh, you know, I told her, here's my situation. She said, here's your options. You really don't have any. And so because of that one month of bad decisions. Mm. uh, I filed bankruptcy, and I've been clawing back ever since. So, uh, you know, during that time, I was involved in ministry also, bivocationally. vocationally And, um, you, know, um, you know, after that, obviously, I dove full-time back into ministry, and that took me to several states. But uh, anyway, that's my background, uh, you know, some business background. I have a, a degree in business uh, with a minor in ministry, actually. So um, anyway, I've just kind of got this mind that's uh, kind of caught up in both worlds. That's awesome. What
0: going through, I know you would never choose to do that again. You would never choose to, but what did that season do for you as crappy as it was? What did it do for you as a person that you are today?
1: Well, you you look throughout the scriptures and you see time after time after time where God doesn't tempt us but God does lead us through the trials to wake us up. And as I, mm. with every house that I flipped and every $30,000, $40,000 check that I cashed, I became more reliant on myself. Mm. And, um, you know, I really feel like God put me through that trial and, uh, you know, it could be debated. We don't, we don't know how God thinks. Uh, that's really very cocky of us to think that we know we have finite minds, he's an infinite God. But uh, I became more reliant on him. Mm. I was uh, humbled. Uh, in front of my wife, and my wife's family, and in front of my creator. And uh, it reminded me that this is not about dollars and cents. This is about managing for the creator about managing his blessings his way and for his glory. And uh, it took me back to the why of personal finance. And it got me out of the just the dollars and cents and the additions and subtractions and multiplication and division. Uh, it's deeper than that finances is, is a spiritual thing. And so it reawakened that in me. Yeah.
0: Do you, do you feel like it makes you more understanding now when you're having somebody call into your show that goes, man, I did something and it wasn't <laughs> smart and it wasn't, do you feel like that that has created in a, um, that empathy inside of you to guide them out of that ditch that they're in?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, all ministries and uh, ministers uh, have a unique value proposition that they bring to the table. And I would say, because of that experience in my life, my, you use the word empathy, and I really think that's a good word. My um, level of empathy is really high. Mm. I can really sincerely empathize with the feeling uh, when you're standing there all alone, feeling like a failure. Um, So yeah, that really helps me out on the, not only in the broadcast, but also in the pulpit. So you go
0: from full-time business, messing with things bivocationally, you step into the church world in a campus pastor. Was that a tough transition for you to go into full-time, quote unquote, vocational ministry?
1: Now that I look back, Mike, I I think it was a huge jump. But when you don't know what you don't know, I wouldn't say it was difficult then. Now I'm looking back. I'm like, what did you do? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, you know, business folks, um, I don't know if they actually think about church world in their everyday life, like what Mm -hmm. that looks like. I, I, um, I was at Elevation Church at the time serving as a, a lay leader and, um, I got called in on Thursday or Friday and said, Hey, we're launching this campus in 33 days. It's our first campus ever. And uh, we're going to launch it in 33 days and you will be the campus pastor. Not can you, you will be. And, um, and I said, well, okay. I just said yes. And uh, I started that next Monday. And uh, the executive pastor gave me a humongous Dell computer that weighed more than I did. (laughs) I shared the front desk with the receptionist. I didn't even have a desk. And I remember opening up Excel and going to cell A1 and the blinking cursor. And I remember putting in um Holly's mom and then I and then A2, I put in Holly, and I went down a list and I had like four or five names there of family. And I'm like, okay, we got a campus of five. Wow. Ministry. And I'm like 33 days later, I'm like, we launched with a, you know, um, you know, four or five hundred people and it, it worked out great. Um, but I don't know if I thought about it. Now, two weeks later. I got my first paycheck. And I'm like, Oh, shoot, 70. <laughs> it was a $70,000 pay cut. And I'm like, Oh, shoot. So looking back, I don't know if I thought about it very much. Yeah. I just know that I was called to do it. They called out some things in me as a lay leader that they saw uh, a call to full time ministry. And even in real estate, and you know, I was teaching at a private Christian school. I've always just wanted to, to minister to people in some way. I'm not really tied to a paycheck or how it's done. I just want to make a change in people's spiritual lives.
0: What what do you think, and you, you alluded to something I thought was interesting, what do you think most business people that you were running with, even those that have a heart for the church and a heart for the Lord, what do you think they think about ministry, and what do you think that pastors think about business leaders that you wish that they knew correctly? You know, you've seen both sides of it. What do you think the others could really learn from each other?
1: And you know what, Mike, I'm actually, you know, because of that experience being real estate and being in the church, I had that, but I'm actually back there now in a weird way. That's now right. in my role at Ramsey Solutions, I'm a Monday through Friday ministry. Mm. And I kind of am just like, uh, I go to church, like I'm, I'm in the seats, I don't have a role in the behind the scenes. And so I, I, do, I have noticed some things. Um, one of the things is when you when you look into social media, uh, social media is a great thing for ministry. Um, and you keep people informed and uh you you brag on God about what God's doing in the church. But um I don't know, this is for everyone to evaluate where they're at with this. I don't I don't know who's who on this, but I think there is a uh, subconscious feeling that everyone's following like every waking minute of every pastor. That the, the business leaders are not doing that. They're not mm-hmm. thinking about the church all week long. So yeah. I would just say don't assume that they are, because they're probably not. So if it's just to keep them informed. That's fine if you want to throw out like, but uh, like th- thinking that the business leaders people who are busy during the week they're not holding on to every word like so to that's think, right you gotta update you know they have to update people on what you're doing every five minutes just so you know they're not wondering that's <laughs> <right>. <laughs> so I know that's not like kind of a shallow level a superficial level yep and another thing that I've noticed is high capacity folks specifically uh, whether becoming giving or serving or their professional roles in the marketplace. One thing that's really good for us all to know is they will likely not respond to a mass call to action. So if you're leading the church to do some big initiative, the high capacity folks are not going to fill out the card. Mm. They're not going to go to the event. They're not going to give above and beyond. They're just not going to do it. For some reason in the psyche of a high capacity just attendee, they need to be talked to one on one, or one on five or one on eight or one on 10. Um, it's just something I've noticed uh, with uh, some of my peers. Um, and talking to pastors all over the country, they have the same, they, they, they feel like they're, they're, the, the, the high capacity folks are not engaged. But no, you have to talk to them differently. It's weird. There's something that happens with that particular demographic where they feel like they have to be talked to directly. Mm. Um, Another thing for uh, church leaders to, to remember is the people in the seats, high capacity or not, they pick up on ulterior motives very fast. Mm. They can see between the lines. They really can. Um, uh, so just take that for whatever, you know, if somebody wants to take that, just make sure that your motives are pure on any initiative before you get up there and um, announce something. And lastly, I would say, um, People are starving for results. They just are. They're starving for results. Uh, you know, people are. If you want them to engage on any level, uh, giving or serving or um, just engagement overall, you know, whether it be an annual report where you're reporting how much ministry was done in a quarter or a year, or giving what your giving has done, what the, where the finances were spent, uh, however vulnerable you want to be on that report, people are starving for results. And they're not going to engage somewhere where there's not results. And I mean, like, like significant results for, and you might be a small church listening to this, for your stage of development, Mm -hmm. don't try to compete with the big 50,000 person church. But for your stage of development, there needs to be results. If it's just playing patty cake each week and meeting together for an hour and a half and sitting together and singing Kumbaya, but there is not significant life change, or people being served in the community, people will disengage probably within the year.
0: Well, that is good. And that is telling you, that is some good stuff that you laid out right there. And I think, you know, and I think we're all caught in that trap of feeling like, you know, the, the world's dependent on us and they want to know everything we're doing and they're, they're always peeking in when, when reality is their, their life moves at such a speed that they aren't that way. Knowing what you know and you've been in the campus world at a great church and you're at a great company now. Knowing what you know about these high-capacity guys and leaders, what do you think goes on in their psyches? And, and probably subconsciously, they don't even realize it, that makes them not just jump on with everybody else. Is mm. it, what, why do you think that is? Any idea on that?
1: Well, I think number one for high-capacity and non-high-capacity is trust. Mm. So they can trust leadership, uh, trust their competency, And a totally separate, uh, you know, as you're measuring this and you're listening to this, you're like, always, obviously, someone who's listening to this is trying to learn, whether in the marketplace, leading an organization or a ministry. There's two, these are two totally different concepts, trusting your competency. And then a totally different situation, trusting your character. Well, that's good. They're two different things. They want to know that the dollars that they are giving or their time they're investing is going to have long term fruit, short term fruit and long term fruit. But they also want to know that they trust you. Um, So that's number one, by far, Uh, results would be another one. Um, And then a community for them to belong to and I would say this for those who are middle aged adults, and higher, they probably are more concerned in their kids having a good community than them having a good community. If you're wondering why you can't keep high capacity givers. Or high capacity volunteers, it's probably because and you don't have a good youth group or good elementary age uh, ministry. And by that, I, I don't mean like bells and whistles. And I don't mean flat screen TVs. I mean good ministry for them to belong to and for them to um, build their self esteem in and grow in the Lord. Um, like I know for me, I'm middle aged right now, and and uh, I'm picking churches based on how well my kids engage because I feed myself during the week. Most you know, well most weeks I'm not yeah. perfect, but Uh, that I'm not really reliant on that one hour experience. And I've already seen all the entertainment stuff. I've already seen the big lights. So uh, and most people have. So it's it's really what meat you're going to provide for their family. That's, that is,
0: uh, I hope everybody listens and takes that. And I know I've been at North star 20 years. So getting to work with some of those leaders through those years, you have, you have nailed it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them it's it. And you don't want to say it's a built-in skepticism, but they didn't get where they were by just giving things away, Mm -hmm. but they're, but they want to give and they just are looking for that right. What's that's that's really
1: good. And and Mike, you know, the highest capacity givers and I, I don't know if that phrase bothers people, when I want to say high capacity, I don't mean rich. And that's the reason why I use that's that term. Correct. I mean, ratio. I yeah. mean, percentage wise. I mean, their heart is to give a lot. So please don't take me, um, you know, you know, misconstrue my, my motives there. But people who are going to engage at that level probably have a spiritual maturity that's higher than the average person who's attending the class. And I would say this stewardship demands that they care about ROI. Right. it demands that they're giving at a place where they are, if you read Matthew 25 14 through 30 the parable of the talents it demands that there is a return on their money a spiritual return and when it comes to investing an earthly return so they really are doing a spiritual thing by giving to organizations that are going to show results boy i love that you know what's funny we were talking
0: about a gentleman a, a a person we both respect a lot rick warren earlier and this summer i was out at saddleback for a week and um I was just, I, you know, it's great to be there as a observer. My wife and I were there, we we're walking and every volunteer, they have volunteers everywhere for this conference. Every time I heard a volunteer in that church speak of Rick, it was as if they thought he was their best friend and their trust level. And it, it made me not question why God used him so greatly there is because they may not even know him personally, but they love him and they know he loves them. And mm-hmm. it isn't really about anything he taught. It's not about a great sermon they all remember. It's about that trust that's been developed over all those years mm-hmm. that you can't, you, you can't, nobody can give that to you. You have to earn it. And Rick's yeah. earned it. And those great leaders, they've earned it. So Chris, you're in the church world and now you're with Ramsey Solutions, working with tons of great churches, tons of great people. Tell me a little bit about how that transition happened to move you from where you were to what you're doing now.
1: Yeah, so I went from real estate to Elevation Church, served there for a few years. And uh, after a few years of being a campus pastor there, I, 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 my wife and I felt called from a, a suburban pain to an urban pain. That's the best way I can explain it. They're both There's pain in both areas, Bible sure. Belt and non-Bible Belt. It's just a different pain. And we really wanted some just real messy stuff. And so we, were, we got called to Miami, which is, in, in my mind, the domestic mission field for sure. <laughs> And uh, served down there for five and a half years at a great church called Potential Church, formerly called Flamingo Road Baptist Church, lead pastor. I didn't know that. Lead pastor is Troy Gramling. And um, I started there as a campus pastor in a very, very urban context. Uh, Lots of real hurting families. Served there for two years as a campus pastor at that campus, and then went to the broadcast campus the third year I was there. And a big size difference. Uh, One would be about 1,000, one would be about 6,000. And uh, that role just looks totally different at those two levels, stage of development, a uh, conversation for another day. That turned into multi-site director, which turned into CFO, which turned into executive pastor. So it was a, a unique five years. Um, but then in May of 2013, I resigned from there and started helping churches all over the country. Um, and I was doing that for maybe six to nine months. And Dave got wind that I wasn't with a church, and uh, he would never pick off, you know, somebody from a church. would, right. But as soon as I wasn't tied to a church, uh, he reached out um, through his team. And said, do you love? Uh, here's what we're trying to do. We're trying to raise the banner stewardship all over America, uh, specifically in the church. Obviously, uh, my role um, is, you know, Randy Solutions is getting bigger and bigger. Uh, he's working a succession plan right now, which we're not in a hurry. It's just a, you know, 1015 year process. Um, as of four years ago. So we're into that process now. And, um, and he is going to go not one to one handoff, but one to many handoff. Mm -hmm. There's several what we call Ramsey personalities that all have their unique niches. And mine is to the church. And he says, you have a passion for stewardship, you have a passion for the local church, you have a passion for people. I'm looking for that kind of person to raise the banner of stewardship all over the country through media, through podcasts, through radio, through uh, speaking at churches, um, you know, through whatever. And I said, Well, that's great. Except for I'm an executive pastor. Uh, I've never spoken in my life. Uh, I've maybe spoken like two or three sermons wow. ever in entire life. And um, I've never done any media or radio or podcast. Uh, podcast wasn't really even big then. He goes, That's okay. It's fine. After about six months of, of interviewing. He said, uh, I can teach all that I can't teach her heart. And wow. Uh, and uh, so he goes, uh, you know, let's play ball. And so I signed on January 6th of 2014. And so we just hit, um, just recently hit four years and it's been a great ride. What have you learned most from him about being a leader?
0: Because on the outside, so as an outsider, I hear, you know, your podcast or one of the other guys' podcast, they'll play clips of Dave speaking and you're just hanging on every word, (laughs) you know, just listening. You're like, oh, it's only two minutes. I need more than that. What, what, what is it you learned most from him about leadership that you went? good night,
1: man. I had no idea. What would you mm, say? That's a great question. Uh, you know, you've ever heard the saying don't ever under prom- overpromise and under deliver. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was signing on with Ramsey solutions, I felt like they overpromised. And then since I've been here, they have over delivered. Like they said it was going to be amazing. And I was like, yeah, whatever. I've been around some great leadership. I was around Troy Grambling. He yep. was like a Maxwell disciple. And I've been around Pastor Furtick. And then even in my two roles before that, I was around some leadership geniuses. And so I was like, yeah, whatever. Well, I read Entree Leadership. I'd already read it before, been to the class even, um, uh, the, 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 the event master series. And I was like, okay, this is our playbook. This Ramsey was saying, this is our playbook of how we run this company. I'm like, well, yeah, sure, whatever. It's probably 70% true. Mm-hmm. Um, since I've been here, and this is no exaggeration. And if he were to make me mad tomorrow, and you were to interview me a month later, I would say the same thing. It is the closest I've ever seen to textbook leadership. Wow. I mean, it is like everything I've ever studied, and I've read—I th- I think last count was 138 leadership books, which I know some people have read like more than that, but whatever. That's my personal journey. Um, it is everything from communication to character to integrity to um uh, consistency to scalability succession to um, sustainability, um, making the right decision the first time. Are they perfect? No. But this place is literally a leadership clinic, and Mm. uh, I'm ridiculously honored to be a part of it. That is incredible. Do you feel
0: like it's made you better during your time there? So you've been there almost four years now. Are you a better leader now because of being there?
1: Yeah, you know, there's a scripture that sticks out in my mind, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 33. It says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good behavior or good habits are good uh, different versions out there. The same thing is true around surrounding yourself with people who are amazing. And I feel like just being in this environment, there's a good healthy pressure, not an a, a unhealthy comparison, uh, pressure, but a healthy pressure to always be raising my game always be adding value. And uh, since I was, you know, I was a fourth a 398th, uh, staff person that was hired, uh, four years ago. And I think we just hit like 660. So, um, they just, you know, keep hiring geniuses all around me. And I'm like, Oh, I do not belong here. <laughs> <laughs> and we're not getting younger either.
0: Uh, no, hiring, I know. You're like, good night, man. This, yeah, isn't, so,
1: this isn't right. This isn't I, right. I feel spoiled to be in this environment. And I would say that if I didn't work here and if they made me mad tomorrow, uh, it is, um, the right thing to do is to give honor where honor is due. And this place is amazing. That's incredible.
0: I, lo- I love that. And that, you know, that's what it appears to be. And just you, it sounds like, and of course, I don't know, Dave, but he sure comes across like a lot of it's just intuitive. It's just built into his DNA and he works at it and learns it. It's sort yeah. of one of those. Yeah. It, so being a student of leadership, what do you think is the biggest difference between just a good leader and a person that's a spiritual leader. What would, you, what would you
1: say to that? I think it's the why. I, mm. I really do. It's, it's, you're going back to, uh, that's why I really like uh, our definition of stewardship, managing God's blessings, God's way. Okay, that's, second, that's, that's two-thirds of it. For God's glory. Mm. It's not for our glory. It's not for the growth of the church. It's just doing the right thing to glorify God. And if you think about the why, you're not just using the task to build people. You're using the you're using the task to build people, not using people to do the task. It's a huge Mm -hmm. difference. So, like it all goes back to the why. It's like okay, so I want to I want to develop this person. Is it so that we can have a high attendance on Easter? No, it's deeper than that. We're going to use Easter. What happened historically? What happened in our faith to grow the community and grow us by ministering the community. So spiritual leadership and regular leadership, I feel like it's almost the difference between kind of like the difference between leadership and management, you're getting people to want to instead of have to. And you're pointing everyone back to the why this is so that we can honor God by developing people. And and really, you're making disciples, not making leaders. Um, One of the things I've even been guilty of is, hey, make sure we're developing leaders. What's your leadership development look like? Well, I, I feel like if we're really doing it right, and this is really just, um, you know, a a play on words and maybe overanalyzing it, but we're, we're developing Christ followers. Leadership is a spiritual thing. If you read the scriptures, you know, cover to cover, like we all are in leadership. We all have different spheres of influence. And when we are not stewarding that leadership platform, I really feel like, you know, we're leaving stuff on the table and I think it's a disappointment. Um, it's just, you know, you're not living up to your potential. And so anyway, I'm very passionate about leadership, even if you're listening to this, and you're a, uh, maybe a stay at home mom, and kids are at school, and you're feeling like or a stay at home dad, and you feel like you're looking around, you're like, Who am I influencing? No, you are. everyone's influencing somebody, even if it's the neighbor, even if it's the, it's the ladies or the guys at the gym.
0: That's it, boy, and I love that. And, and you and I talked a little bit before we went on the air. I don't think it has anything to do with your role. I don't think it has anything to do with your place or what your title on your desk or office may or may not be. Everybody's a leader. And I don't remember if it was Andy or Rick or one of the John or somebody I heard say our greatest leadership may be the, the the child we're raising in that home who stands on our shoulders and does the great things that we always hope to do that, that may be our best leadership. And yeah so be it. How do you continue to grow? So here you are, man, you've been walking with the Lord for a long time. You've you've worn a lot of different hats and some pretty awesome places. How do you continue to grow yourself in that category spiritually?
1: You know, one of the things about having a leadership podcast is, and you know, this is it's kind of got like a little bit of a selfish ambition with it also. Yes. Uh, selfish. I, I feel like it's all about surrounding yourself around people who pull you uh, pull you up uh, emotionally, uh, spiritually, physically, um, you know, um, when it comes to leadership. Uh, So right now on my on uh, my leadership podcast, I I feel like it's given me perspective. Like, for instance, the average person who's listening uh, in on this podcast probably has served at maybe two or three, maybe four churches max um, in their in their in their uh, ministry career. Well, I'm the same way. Uh, I'm the same way. However, because I've been able to talk to so many people from around the country, it broadens my perspective Mm. of Bible Belt versus non-Bible Belt, different denominations, uh, different geographic regions, uh, different genders, um, uh, different races. Uh, I've been able just to see, you know what? I was so dogmatic that my way was correct. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it's funny because my wife and I served together. Uh, we've served together throughout, you know, but I do this role separately from her now. And now she's an executive pastor. And she has this, um, she really does have this. Um, she'll come with some strong statements of like, this is why I, you know, I believe what I believe. And I'm like, well, yeah, well, I talked to boom, talked to boom, talked to boom, talked to these three, four people, and they're having success. It just came up actually with Christmas services. Oh, you know, because it, Christmas was on a what? Uh, Sunday, I forget. Yeah, so Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve was Sunday. Yeah, Sunday. That's right. That's right. And it was like, do you have morning services? Do you have night services? Oh, my and gosh. And there's this big, huge wrestle about it. Whether do you add a service? Do you not add a service? Do you do a Saturday? It was crazy all over the country. And what do you do? And I'm like, Holly's like, that's why I believe. And I'm just I was like laughing at her. I'm like, I literally have talked to 50 different pastors are doing all 50 different things. And they're all going to be just fine. (laughs) That's exactly right. It's their context and their geographic region. And so for me, growth is just hearing from different voices, Uh, even from denominations that I would never sit in that seat, just because stylistically, or even theology wise, but you pick out them, you know, eat the fish, spit out the bones. And if it has nothing to do with the core essentials of the faith, learn from them. And it's still an organization from a leadership perspective.
0: What out of all the guys, and and I don't want you to name guys by any stretch, but what are some of the traits, those leaders, the great ones you've interviewed on your podcast and the the people you look back and you're like, man, this guy was, he was a hammer. He was, he was awesome. What are some of the traits those leaders, denominationally may be different, theology may be different, but yet the core values of who they are as people, what are some of the traits that have stood out to you about those People that you talked to.
1: Well, there's a a few uh, individual interviews that really stick out to me, and again, the the uh, variety of perspectives will come out in in this answer as well. Um, I talked to Bob Goff, and and Bob Goff is a, a unique individual. He's not serving within the church walls on a on a vocational basis, so that's the reason why I wanted that perspective, uh, his perspective on the church world, not only in America but also all over the world, and. Uh, it really boiled down ministry down to just love people. Well, mm. and I just feel like the reason why people look at Rick Warren the way he does it for years is because he's just loved people. Well, probably some vulnerability in there, some mm-hmm. transparency that people are really connecting with as well. I don't go to Saddleback, so I don't know that for sure, but my guess is that's what people are connecting with and consistency over time, serving the community, but just loving people. Well, Bob Goff, another one was, um, uh, Pastor Steven Furtick, interviewed, but just the whole idea of unqualified, my entire ministry, and, and people resonate with this a lot. I've felt unqualified, I should not be in this room. I have felt that way every day of a uh, uh, 15 year ministry. Um, and, and so the fact that he's still feeling that way, even mm-hmm. though he's on top of the world right now, it was just refreshing. Uh, most people that I talk to, if not all, um, all think that they are still unqualified, they have insecurity inside of them to do whatever they're doing. Um, another one would be gratitude. Um, I talked to Nick Voychich, uh, you know, who has no arms and no legs. And I'm not saying hands and feet. I'm talking about arms and legs. Wow. He doesn't have any of them. And even getting him in the studio and getting him on a chair and putting the mic on his on his head and giving him a, a drink of water. those are all big, huge challenges. And he probably is the most gratitude filled person that I've ever interviewed. Um, So the gratitude piece was a big for me. So learning from all these different perspectives has just been absolutely huge. If there was one common thing, Mike, it would be um, urgency, Mm -hmm. uh, a healthy urgency. And I know there's, there's a line between urgency, spiritual urgency and earthly ambition. Uh, There's probably a mix of those, you know, with every level, there's new devils. So in leadership, one of the biggest devils that we have in leadership is just earthly selfish ambition, and pride. Those are two things that you've got to check yourself every day. Is this about me? Or is this about God? But I feel like all the people that have had on the show, I've ran them through a filter. Are they just ambitious and opportunistic? Or are they spiritually urgent? And I really feel like all of our guests have been spiritually urgent. And of course, I admire that. And I love what you guys are doing, helping the
0: church, you know, the stewardship solutions you guys are set up and y'all are seeing some pretty amazing things happen across the country with churches that are embracing you guys paying off tons of debt. Is that something that's become a real fire in your belly to help churches and to see them not just succeed, but to see them enjoy ministry?
1: Well, one of the advantages um, or the blessings that I have is to talk to leaders from all over the country and see what's working and celebrate with, them, uh, celebrate with them about that. But I also hear on the other side is what is the number one struggle that they're all having? So you talk to them in a lobby or you talk to them at a conference or you talk to them at their, at their place in the room, maybe. And the number one problem is that everyone has less resources than their vision. Mm. Uh, number two problem right behind that is they can't figure out discipleship. And so for me, I don't like to just point out problems. I like to bring solutions. I like to be part of a solution. And um, I am a firm believer that uh, the, probably the biggest problem throughout the country is that you've got a lot of people saying amen, a lot of people cheering on the visions, you know, radically worshiping and have great intentions to serve in the ministry. But the average church that's listening in right now, you have a core of maybe what, 15 to 20% of your attendees? And it all boils down to what I think is this one statement. People are intentioned, but they're not positioned. Mm. And being intentioned for ministry is nothing without being positioned for ministry. The bottom line is, is that people have no margin in their life and where there is no margin, there is no ministry. And we get frustrated as church leaders that they're not engaging. Well, the bottom line is, is you can't, you can't expect what you don't equip. Mm. And so if we know the number one I feel like the number one obstacle in the church today the number one competition in the church today is not other churches. <laughs> the biggest competition in the church today is visa. The biggest competition in the church today is debt. And uh, if if that's where they're they're all focused I mean the, right now the latest stat since I've been working here the stat for paycheck to paycheck has gone from 70% living paycheck to paycheck to 76 and the latest research is 78% are living paycheck to paycheck. Now if we know that's a reality and they're walking around and all they can focus on is that next paycheck, how can they even care about the ministry? They're worried about can I keep the lights on? Um, every dollar that comes into their hand has an obligation to the past, so it has no opportunity for the future. So if that's the case, no wonder they're not engaging. It's not because they don't trust the leadership or there's a leadership lid. Now, some of that stuff may be in play also, but when they, that bucket comes by, And they're going to give a tithe to some general fund, which they have no idea what that even means. Or they're going to keep the lights on. They're not going to give. And you and I know it's not because they're keeping the lights on. It's probably because the big, huge payment on something. But they don't equate it that way. They don't look at it that way. So I'm very, very passionate about I feel like, you know, I want to be part of the solution. And I know we're always begging for, oh, can we just get a 2% increase in giving 3% increase in giving? And like, we'll put a giving kiosk in the lobby and we'll look we'll like, like all these little ideas. People have been doing that for years, oh, yeah. right? Well, there's gotta be a paradigm shift. Um, you know what? Maybe it's not the action that's the problem. Maybe we go back and change the belief system and teach people what it's really about, how to handle finances God's way and God's or God's glory. It's a spiritual component that'll yield different actions, which will yield different results. So I like getting people back from, let's not just teach on tithing. Let's teach on how to manage the 100%, not just the 10%. So anyway, you opened up a can of worms with oh, me 11, there. 11. Uh, I, have to, I have to really discipline myself to shut up. But I'm very, I think this is a game changer for the church.
0: I believe it is too. And you nail, and I know you're very passionate about a lot of your writings and what I've heard you speak on, that debt and that money issue isn't only something that affects them while they sit in there on Sunday mornings and they can't give behind the scenes when they close that door in the afternoons it is put, putting as big a stress on marriage as anything else. Have you found that to be true in working with people that that, that debt issue and that how you handle money issue is just ripping marriages apart?
1: Yeah, well, the, you know, it turns out that the scripture of Proverbs 22 7 is still true today. And the borrower is enslaved to the lender. And Romans 13 8 says, Owe no man anything except for the debt to love one another. And so what happens in marriages, is they feel enslaved? When another word for slave would be like entrapped, right? You feel like you are in bondage. You you've got no options. So what happens is you start making decisions and you start responding out of being desperate, mm-hmm. or in fear, or feeling like you have no options. Well, that that gives you a you respond differently. You respond uh, reactively instead of having a conversation proactively. Personal finance: the number one cause of divorce in America is money fights and money problems actually uh, there's this um, topic out there called financial infidelity mm. i don't know if you've ever heard of that code, but it's actually an epidemic in america and uh, 50% almost 50% of american uh, married couples would admit that they're keeping money secrets from their spouse wow uh, maybe on the big side or the small side but that is a huge communication problem you know this mike at the foundation, the the, the central fabric of a good marriage is trust and communication. And you think about there's no other element in a marriage that touches every area, but money, money touches every area. So if you get a breach in trust, and you have a breach in communication about the very topic that touches every area of your life, including parenting, recreation, clothing, transportation, shelter, you name it, that's a major issue. And uh, so yeah, if we can help people with that, we found out that uh, a lot of the things we do are are, are uh, it comes across as money, but it's actually a marriage conference in disguise. That's right, <laughs> they'll engage in a a couple week you know study or a, a nine week study, and they literally will not be looking at each other on week one, week three or four they. uh, You know, are holding hands, and you're like, "What is going on?" It's like it's amazing that what a budget can do. And then by the end of the class, they can't keep their hands off each other, and we're like, "Oh my gosh, get a room!" (laughs) (laughs) But uh, but anyway, it's been pretty cool. But yeah, I'm a firm believer that personal finance is the number one thing tearing apart family unit. I totally agree. And with what you and Holly have walked through with all the stuff that went
0: on out of the business, I'm sure you have felt all of the things that they could ever feel. No. of what that you know how how do you feel like y'all survived it how do you feel like looking back now in the rearview mirror on those crazy years i'm sure when you're almost got ptsd coming out of <laughs> coming out of those tough years how did you guys make it as a couple and get stronger as time went
1: well you know uh if i were to kind of like dive into the variables that were were then and now one of the things was, you know, my humility to immediately admit fault and not point blame and say, I'm the one that made this decision, not you was like maybe 10% of it. Uh, Probably 20% of how we've kind of thrived throughout all this was just her amazing, just just absolute grace Mm. would be another one. Uh, Maybe 10% would be um, because I have a lot of change in my pocket, a relational change with her. I've done a lot of things well as a husband. Mm-hmm. But all that small stuff, it literally is the main reason is God just said, you know what, everyone, <laughs> he's like, I just want to leverage this story. Yeah. I, I just want to, I want to leverage this story. And so I know that he's like, you know, what? I need this marriage to stay together. Cause I want to teach people long-term that there is hope. I want to teach people, you know, the Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. And my goal is to make sure that people have hope. Um, and I want to, so I always keep that in mind. I know that God wants to get something out of my story and out of the pain that was involved in it. And so for me, every chance I get, I tell the story, even though it's painful to reopen the wound. I tell the story just out of stewardship. He, mm. It's his story, not mine. And so I want to suck the nutrients out of it, even though it's painful, uh, so that other people not only will avoid it, but if they're going through it or are about to go through it, that they would be um, you know, encouraged by it. Well, that's good. Was that your because I think every leader, no matter their field, whether
0: it's coaching or business or whatever it is, everybody enters that season and in that season where the enemy distracts us, distracts us, disrupts us or discourages us. Was that your darkest season in leadership that you say that, man, this this could have kept me from being where I am today? And I think every leader walks around with a white towel in their pocket, you know, to go is this the one I'm going to wave it on? You know, I've, I've been there. In fact, I shared about it Sunday in our, in our church. Was that that season for you? Or was was there another season that was a tough one for you to walk
1: through in leadership? Probably the darkest. Yeah. If you're using, you know, uh, that word, Uh, there has been some real challenging times. um, And maybe somebody would uh, understand this, but when I went from being a remote campus pastor to being a broadcast campus pastor. Mm. There was a season where we were hitting a a, uh, definitely a, a growth lid, um, you know, a milestone where you know, what got you here won't take you there kind of thing. And Mm -hmm. we had some old guard that was still, you know, you know, involved in some really old thinking that was not relevant to the current culture and systems. And we tried to move them along and try to encourage them and but it just obviously wasn't going to happen. Um, but when you go to be, a, and maybe some people, this is kind of a niche thing, but hopefully people can translate this into their context. You ever been frustrated that uh, you are supposedly over something, but you don't have control over it. <laughs> yeah. um, so when I went from a remote campus pastor to a broadcast campus pastor, it's like, hey, you're over the team here at the broadcast campus. However, all executive leadership went to church at that campus. So it was one of these things where, hey, Chris, we need to turn over most of the staff. Uh, and they did it in a kind way. It wasn't like a real mean way, but it, it was a reality. And we've already tried to challenge them. They're not stepping up. And, um, but I had just gotten there and didn't have a chance for me to be able to challenge them personally. But it was just a really tough six hmm. months, nine months where I was brought in to be the axe person. And that's how I was starting my ministry at that location. And so looking back, that's probably something that I would have done a little bit differently. Uh, and they probably would say the same thing. But it uh, was a really hard season for me. I don't know if it's dark, but it was probably my biggest leadership challenge It taught me the most. Uh, now looking back, what I would do differently. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and I, it's funny. You know, on this podcast, I'm talking a little bit about some of my weaknesses, some of the things I've done wrong. And I'm a firm believer of this, that people are impressed with our strengths, mm. but they're influenced by our weaknesses. Agreed. Um, and for me, I try to on the podcast or on this podcast or anything that I'm I'm doing, I try to lead out with what I've done wrong and lead out with my weaknesses because two things, one, I agree with what I just said. And two, it's good for my own spirit. It's good for my heart to admit it publicly. It's
0: it's so true. It's so true. And then you start going in the file folder and you're like, God, there's a lot more of those than there are strengths. I don't don't think it's supposed to be like this. Well, I appreciate that. And I I want to tell you, and of course I've never met, we've never met. I follow you from afar. I'm a fan of what you do, man. That comes out even when you're not talking about it. Mm. And is, I think there's a humility that comes from it and it's, you know, what is it? Uh, Scripture says it's the aroma of Christ. Is that you know when when Jesus' presence walks in a room, it's not condemning, it's loving and it's understanding. And man, you 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 do that well. You really wow. do do that well. I, I
1: feel like when it comes to money, it, it, you need it. Like, I think it's a real tense subject. And uh, you know, if you come across as some like uh, expert authority and like I've always done it right, it's just people are already on edge and they're not wanting to receive it. So. If I can stand up in a room and say, hey, I've made the biggest mistake in the room, kind of <laughs> yeah. level, levels the playing field.
0: <laughs> so one day when, you're, when your kids are talking about you or when Holly, who I've heard so much about through the years, is talking about you, how do you want them to describe you? Mm. Looking back and looking back on your journey and they were saying, okay, I want you to write a sentence about your dad or your husband. What would, what would you want them to say about you?
1: Yeah, well, we have a mission statement as a family. That this would be your, your, your clean answer, and then I'll give you the messy one. The clean answer is on earth as it is in heaven. Mm. That's our mission statement as a family, and that encompasses a lot of things. Um, it's kind of like a little bit of what would Jesus do, you know, kind of thing, like, you know, whether I'm reacting to something relationally or what I, an activity that I'm a part of, how I'm going to spend my day, what my calendar looks like, what my checkbook looks like on earth as it is in heaven. How would I do it if I was in heaven sitting on the throne right next to God? Like, you know, um, uh, right next to his throne seat, uh, uh, not on the throne. You get yeah. it. <laughs> I got you.
0: <laughs> back from the humility world, back to the yes, throne exactly. in heaven. <laughs> yeah, take a turn, take turn for
1: sure. Um, but um, you know, the messy answer is I would want um, a humble, you know, uh, and real humility, not not um, forced humility, just a just a realness, uh, authentic, um, honest. Um, definitely not perfect, but immediately admits his weaknesses and his mistakes. Just, uh, yes, last night, um, we have, we just bought a farm and we have a little bunkhouse. This is a quick story. And um, we had, uh, we had said, you know what, we are going to, tomorrow, we're going to have a work day. And we all, we talked about it, what we're going to do. Here's the 15 things as a family. We're all going to go over there. I got three kids, 13, 11, and nine. And we went over there and we're getting started. And I got over there about 20 minutes earlier. And I just started to shred things apart and I'm rocking and rolling my wife comes in and she's like, Oh, we're not doing that. Oh, we're not doing that. And you know, as a guy, you just it kind of spurs you know, stirs up inside and you're just like, Oh no, you're not like, uh, you know, the, just selfishness inside of yeah. the pride. Like I'm head of household. It, it, it just happens subconsciously. And so I'm like, fine, whatever you want. Sure. Go ahead. You know, I'm sure no guy listening to this has ever been here before, <laughs> but I was like, fine. Yep. Yeah, whatever you say. And I just totally shut her down in front of my kids. Mm. And uh, she's like, No, you guys do whatever you want. And she walked out. She says, I'll just go, you know, make dinner or make lunch or whatever it was. And uh, man, I was like, oh shoot. And then she left and I, I'm there with like three kids. And um I promise this gets to your question. Um and immediately, I don't get this right all the time, but immediately I go, guys, mom is right. We talked about this yesterday. She laid out we had laid out a game plan together and I totally forgot and I'm I just got excited. And I felt like she came over and shot my dreams down. But she's 100% right. I said, I need you guys to go over to the other house with me. So all three of them walked over. And I walked to my wife and I said, honey, you are 100% right. I'm 100% wrong. You've told me before that um, you say I run from conflict. This would be three days of silence normally. Uh, I'm not going to do that. I'm, gonna try to, I'm challenging myself to, to be better at this. And the three kids saw what I did. And so they need to be here. I apologize. It was 100% my fault. Wow. You are right. And I just wanted to be like, you know what, dad wasn't perfect. Dad made some mistakes. And man, dad sometimes had a temper. But man, he immediately had quick accounts, like short Mm. accounts. He made things right. He didn't have any enemies. I just feel like I'm 40 years old. I don't have any enemies. I don't want any enemies. I've never had an enemy. And I think for me, just that I love people well, and that I'm honest, and uh, I wasn't the best at things. Is there better speakers out there? Yeah. Is there better podcast hosts? Yeah. Is there better everything I do? Yes. But just a real guy who loves people. That's
0: so good. That is so good, man. Well, Chris, you are making a difference, man. You are making a mark. And I just want to say thank you for taking time today to share your experiences
1: and share your story and share your knowledge and share it with
0: us because it really did mean a lot.
1: No, well, thank you very much. I'm uh, definitely honored to be on and uh, you're making things happen, my friend.
0: I hope you enjoyed that time with Chris. You know what I love about it? There's a phrase that we use a lot here at North Star the church I pastor, and I heard it years ago from a from a gentleman named Ron Dunn who was a phenomenal Bible, best Bible teacher I've ever heard. But he made a statement, and he said, "God never wastes our time, and He never wastes our experiences." You know, when God used Chris in all the different facets, whether it's in the real estate market and then losing everything, going into the church world, and now what he does with Dave Ramsey. God is using all of those experiences to make him the leader that he is. And I love that. And I love that Chris isn't looking back going, yeah, I regret that. And yeah, I would do that, which we all do. We we would do things differently. But he sees how God's hands at work In each of those parts of his journey, and he's letting God do what he chooses to do. And on top of it, and one of the things I've learned in so many of these interviews, I did not know Chris prior to our time together. Chris is kind, and Chris not only wants to further the kingdom, he wants to help as many people as he can be the best that they can be. And he's been a great, great friend to me helping get this podcast off the ground. So, Chris, thank you. You know, every, every time uh, I have a word that reminds me of uh, the interview we had together, and, and Chris would be experiences. I think that Chris's experiences were never wasted. And God always redeems. If we keep letting him use us, he'll always redeem whatever we're going through and whatever we've been through. So one day we'll use it to help someone else going through what we were once in at the same time. And man, Chris, you are you are dynamite. I hope to have Chris on again in future episodes. Well, our time together next time is gonna be very similar. We're gonna be sitting down with another great leader who's had some amazing experiences. He ended up doing what he's doing today because another journey didn't turn out like he thought it would. We're going to be sitting down with William Vanderblumen. William leads the Vanderblumen search group that works with churches and businesses across the country to find and place executives and leaders and and pastors and youth pastors and singles pastors and all that kind of stuff, but I'm telling you, William gets leadership. Vanderbloom and Search Group's one of the top places in America to work. Houston, every year they win best places to work in the Houston market, and you're going to learn so much about staff culture, you're going to learn so much about leadership from our time with William in episode Twenty-four. But until then, I hope you'll share this episode with a friend. If it helped you out, man, if you would take a second and go to iTunes, Stitcher, or leave a review, leave a rating, because it does help this get in more hands and more people be able to grow in their spiritual leadership because of the journey of someone else. Well, thanks again for joining us today. And until next time, go be the leader that God created you to be in the place that God has put you. Pray that you have a great day, and I can't wait to join you again next time. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.